following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Um, so I thought if we're going to look at what does it mean to be a father, we've got to look back at the first man, look back at, at Adam. And, and in Genesis 1, the Bible begins to, to say that God created them male and female. It says in, in verse uh, 26 in chapter 1 of Genesis, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God created Adam, Adam and, or created man and woman, and both of them are created in the image of God. So they're, they're created in the image of God. They're, they're equal bearers of God's image, but they do it differently. And I think that's important for us to realize that, that our gender, that our identity is not based on society. It's not based on what our parents teach us. It's, it's ultimately based on who God is. And that there is a masculine heart and there's a feminine heart which equally show the heart of God. And that those, those things show that, but they show them in different ways. And so Genesis 2 kind of expounds on Genesis 1 and shows a little bit more what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. And so in Genesis, in Genesis 2 verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man... And put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each thing, each living creature, that was its name. So here we have Adam in Genesis 2, that God forms Adam, and he gives him this command, and which Eve wasn't even around yet when he got this command. Hey, you can eat any of this stuff. There's all this good stuff. There's all this buffet of things, and we can only imagine how good the fruit was in the Garden of Eden. It probably had all sorts of protein. It was like non-GMO, non, like it was totally keto-friendly for the most part, I imagine. And it was like an amazing diet of food in the Garden of Eden. And, and so Adam has all this stuff, and, and God created Adam, and God realizes, hey, there's, there's one thing that's not good in the midst of all of this good stuff, is it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so he creates all of these creatures and brings them to Adam. And he says, Adam created you as the initiator, as the leader of creation to name all these things. And, and I am your creator. And now I'm passing that idea of creator onto you for you to create new names, for you to harness the potential of what I've given you and be, to begin to make that your own and create goodness out of what I've created, out of the model that I've given you. And so you figure, one of the things I think people pass over with this passage is Adam had to name all the creatures. And there's a lot of creatures. 
before he got to Eve, right? So it could have been years and years and years before Adam finally got Eve. And he's having to wait for her. And so God gave him this command, and then there's years and years and years that pass by, and finally he gets Eve. And he says, he says, whoa, like, whoa, man. So that's what I'll call her, whoa, man. And, and because the, the Eve is kind of comes out of, um, it's Adam, in, which means male, and then Adama is female in the Hebrew. So it's, it kind of comes out of that. Um, and so we see this in, in Genesis 2, but now in Genesis 3, um, we see that, that the serpent, which represents Satan, tempts Eve. To, to eat from the tree of the knowledge of, 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 of good and evil, which is not just knowing good and evil, it's being able to judge what is good and what is evil for themselves. And so in verse 6 in Genesis 3, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Now, again, people say, oh, it's Eve. Eve is the source of all of our problems. Like Eve was the one who she believed that's the serpent. And so she, it's all her fault. Why did she, I mean, that's what it was. It was the woman's fault that all of this happened. But here, but listen to this, listen to the Bible. Eve wasn't even around when God gave the command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam was the only one that it was around. And it was years and years and years, potentially, until Eve was even around. And Adam is sitting here right with Eve while she's being tempted, and he is do- doing nothing about it. And I think that is the problem, is that God created Adam to be an initiator, to be a protector, to be one to, to get involved in creation, and, to, and he created Eve as kind of his, his co-partner, co-laborer in creating and harnessing the potential of the earth and yet, Adam, in his sin, didn't do anything about Eve's, Eve being tempted. And I think that's, that's the problem, is that there's two natures in humanity, in men, that are warring against each other. There's this, this nature of passivity, this passive nature to each and every one of us. And then there's this nature of, of standing up and being assertive and and being able to, to have some fight in us and to longing for, for adventure. There's this, this passive nature to us, and then there's this very active nature to, to men. And as we begin to, to move forward in time, we see nowadays that culture is trying to encourage more of that passive nature in men. And so there was an ad that a few months ago from Gillette, the, the maker of the, the shaving, you know, the Gillette, the best a man can get. And so they, they did this ad, and I was thinking of showing you the ad, but it's just time-wise and stuff. Um, but it's basically, the, the ad, there's nothing really wrong with the ad on the surface. The ad is, is ultimately about um, guys not, you know, not just trying to be sexual, not trying to be violent, and and, and there's nothing wrong with that on the surface, but, but what, what I, when you kind of begin to look at the subtle undertones, it, it starts with, with a man, with a young, young boy, actually, running out, and people are chasing after him. They're bullies trying to, to beat him up, and there's a son crying in, in the mom's arms, and 
And then there's, um, it goes on and shows all sorts of times when, when men are trying to sexually harass women. And, and, so, and then there's, it goes on and it shows a, a man seeing a woman he likes and trying to go talk to her. And there's a guy that stops him from trying to talk to the woman. And, and, and the, 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 over, the message seems good. It's like, yeah, I can, I can get behind that. Like, I, don't, I believe that, you know, guys, we should respect women. That's what God created us. I believe, guys, like, we shouldn't just fight. But the way it characterized men is it stereotyped men that we are, are violent, we're, we're sexualized, and, and that is our very nature. This is what they call toxic masculinity, and, and I believe that you don't help men be better by pointing out some of the, the men in society that are, that are not doing their job, that are not men, but they're acting like boys, and castigating all of men and stereotyping them, hey, this is the way that you are. I don't believe that's how you get men to be better. I believe you get men to be better by calling out the best in them. And saying, hey, here's what men should be. Here's what men can be. Here's all the great things men are doing. Don't you want to be like that? And encouraging that out of the bat. I think there's been too many times that the culture has tried to put on men. Hey, men, you're, you're evil, you're bad, and you need to shape up, and you need to be better. And I don't believe that's what men need. I believe there is a crisis of confidence among men in the U.S. today. That so many men don't believe that they're good, don't believe that, 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 that there, anything better is out there for them. That, and so they're, they're turning away from community and they're turning away from their families because they're trying to find meaning and purpose and they're trying to find confidence. And we have a crisis of confidence in our, in our culture today because so much of, of media, so much of culture is putting men down. I mean, you see there's a tired cliche of, of men, or fathers specifically, being portrayed as bumbling idiots, as the goofy kind of comic relief for people. And if you don't believe me, I mean, you're going to recognize these two. Uh, the first one is Homer Simpson. Um, you even look at this picture, and this, uh, to me, stereotypes so much of what media portray men and specifically fathers have. Homer is, is slipping and falling while Marge is the one, you know, she's the responsible one. She's the one holding the house together. She's the one doing the work. Well, he's having fun and, and he's kind of being the idiot. Or, or this one even more so, Peter Griffin in, in uh, uh, you know, family guy. Like he's, the, he's kind of the, the dumb guy. He makes the dumb decisions. And Marge, his wife, and by the way, I wouldn't recommend watching this show um, specifically, but it's just pointing out, and there's so many other things. There's like, everybody loves Raymond, but then I realized that that was like done going in 2005, and a lot of people wouldn't even know what that was, so I was like, okay, well, um, and I don't really know TV enough to bring some of the other stereotypes in, but, but as I've watched, like, this is the cliche that's over and over and over again. Men are kind of the bumbling, goofy, comic relief, kind of the the, the portrayed as kind of the idiots of it. Is, maybe that's a harsh word, but, but that's how they're portrayed. And, and then the women and the mothers are really the ones who are the responsible ones and the ones that are. And I think what it's doing is, is like this Gillette ad, it's this subtle 
undertones that we're sending to, to boys, that we're sending to men. Hey, you're not really the responsible ones. You don't really have to, to take care of things. Really, it's the women that those are the ones that need to be the responsible ones. Those are the ones that really need to be the ones that hold everything together. And we're, we're in, this, in essence, we're beginning to say, hey, um, it's okay for you to be irresponsible. But that's not what I believe that the Bible is saying biblical manhood is. Biblical manhood is not this. Because inside, in each of every one of us, God has put a longing in our hearts for adventure. A longing for to be wild, like the men's group that's meeting on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m., they're reading this book called Wild at Heart. And it's talking about how the longing in every man is, is, is to be, be wild, to be um, out there and to be trying to, to do great things, to, to go for a purpose, to go, go conquer things, to go for an adventure where so much of society is, is wanting men to be, be passive, and men to, to step away from, from their responsibility. And, and I believe that God is calling men to come out of that passive way and begin to get involved in their lives. And begin to get adventure. Because that, that, there's the choice we can make to get passive and to pull back. And then there's the choice we can make to, to move forward. To reject passivity. To begin to see that there is an adventure that God is calling us to, and God wants us to step out because that's who he designed us to be. He didn't design us to merely work in a cubicle day after day after day and, and not be, begin to step out and begin to do amazing things. There's nothing wrong with working in a cubicle. There's nothing wrong with being behind a computer. There's nothing wrong with office jobs. Those are great, but when that becomes our sense of, of identity and that's all life is, then men by nature will be bored. Men need to be a part of something where they are, are pursuing stuff, where they're active, where they're doing amazing things. And, and I believe that God is calling men out now. And he wants to see men begin to get involved. And we're going to talk about four battles that men ha are, are called to fight. But our verse for today, the verse I really want to focus on, is Hebrews 10 38 and 39, and it says, But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. That word in the Greek is, is to be timid or to be intimidated. Um, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And this, this is speaking to both men and women. And, and so I believe that, that God is also calling women to step out too. He's calling women to not shrink back. That women need to step up and begin to, to, to speak as well. But I think specifically what I'm seeing is that so much of our culture is trying to make men passive. And I want to spur men on today to say that you are leaders in, in your family. You're leaders in your community. But first of all, you've got to lead yourselves. And you've got to be able to come out of your passive comfort zone and begin to step into a grander adventure that God is calling us to. Because this passage in, in Hebrews, it's speaking to Jewish Christians at the time who are, are being persecuted and they're being pressured to turn back from Christ, from following Christ's system of grace, that we live by grace, not by the law, not by works, not by all the things that we show how we measure up, 
but we're living out of the grace that our identity and worth is in Jesus, and we don't have to earn our identity. We don't have to earn our worth. That's already been paid for in Jesus, and now we can begin to step out of that into who God is calling us to be. And so these Jewish Christians are being pressured by Jews of their day and by other people, hey, turn back to the system of, of Judaism. Um, you're, you're being persecuted not only by Jews, but by Romans at that time. And so, they're, so, so the writer of Hebrews is writing to the, these Hebrews that are probably living in Jerusalem, and he's, he's trying to encourage them, hey, we don't shrink back. Even though we go through difficult times, we are not going to shrink back and be destroyed. We are the ones who, ha, who are, ha, ha walk by faith and are saved. Amen. And so it says that my righteous ones will live by faith. The, the righteous ones, these are the people that righteousness is just doing the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing in my life. And, and what is the right thing? Well, it's the Sunday school answer. It's following Jesus. It's, it's trusting Jesus. It's believing that he is who he said he, that he is and that he'll do what he said he'll do. It's believing in the promises of God in your life. It's believing that God wants to work in your life. So even when the situation doesn't look good, we know that God is good. And that if he's there, then things are still going to happen. That's, that's righteousness. It's just walking the right path following Jesus. So he said, my righteous ones will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. Too many people are shrinking back and God doesn't want to see people shrink back because when you shrink back, there, there's the sense that, that it's, there's no gray kind of neutral ground. Either you're part of the solution or you're part of the problem. There's no gray area in there. If, you, if you're not part of the solution, then you're allowing evil to come in. See, evil doesn't ride in on the backs of, of cruelty, of cruel people. Evil rides in on the back of the apathetic masses. The people who just allow evil to grow. I mean, that's, that's what happened in, in World War I and World War II in Germany. That it wasn't that there was a bunch of cruel people who said, hey, we would need to kill six million Jews and, and millions of other people. It, it was that there were, there were people that were just kind of discontent and they were a little apathetic. And there was this guy that came in named Hitler who came in and had these, some of these ideas and other people came around him and he formed this core. And there was this core group of people and, and there, there were churches these days that were just kind of, you know, going along. They weren't standing up and speaking up. No, what you're doing is not right. See, when we don't speak up as, as Christians, and, and specifically as men, when we don't lead the way in speaking up about the, the things that are around us that are not of Christ, then those things begin to infect our families, begin to infect our communities. And we've got to, as men, and, and also as women, stand up and begin to speak against some of these things. We can't shrink back. For 1 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. See, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you have a power in your, and, and he gives you the words and the power in your life to speak up and speak against the things that are contrary to Jesus. So it, we, he says that we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. 
When we begin to follow Jesus, then he begins to, and begin to learn more about him and begin to build the foundation of our lives in Jesus, then we begin to learn what's the right path. We begin to understand, hey, this maybe is not right because then it doesn't align with the Bible. It doesn't align with what Jesus says. And we begin to have a foundation by which we can evaluate and analyze things that are coming across our path and, and discern the spirits and discern the truth of something that somebody is telling us, hey, this doesn't seem right. This seems like it's going to lead me down a path that I don't want to go. We want to walk by faith and be saved so that we don't fall in pits that will lead us and lead the ones that we love and lead into to problems. There was a thing um, that President Truman had on his desk. It was called passing the buck. And, and the, the phrase passing the buck was in, from the frontier days, kind of the, the western days, um, that they used to have a buckhorn knife when they played poker. And this, the, they'd pass the buckhorn knife to show whose turn it was to be a dealer. And if they passed the buck, passed the buckhorn knife, then some, that meant that they didn't want the responsibility of being the dealer for, for the poker hand. And so that phrase came, passing the buck, meaning passing the responsibility. I don't want to take on that responsibility. I think today we have to ask ourselves, am I passing the buck in my life? Am I passing the buck in terms of leading my family? Am I passing the buck in terms of, of leading my community and in leading in, in my church? Am I passing the buck in leading myself? Am I not taking responsibility for things in my life that God has called me to lead into? And I, and I think there's so many times that we're more like a, like a thermometer than a thermostat. You see, a thermometer just reads the temperature of the room and responds and shows whatever the temperature of the room is, whereas a thermostat begins to, to say, hey, I'm going to set the temperature of the room and I'm going to raise the temperature or lower the temperature of the room to be where I'm at. That's where we need to be. Men, we need to be more like thermostats than thermometers. We need to not just walk into a room and kind of go with the flow and, and just go with whatever our peers are doing, but we need to say, hey, what is right? What does the word say? What is the biblical foundation? And that is the thermostat. So, hey, when I walk into a room, if it doesn't align with the word of God, then I am either going to try to set the tone that, hey, if I'm going to be here, we are, this is the way that we are going to be. I'm going to help set culture because we are not going to go away that is against the word of God. That is a, we're going to align our lives with the word of Jesus. And we are going to be more like thermostats than thermometers. And I believe that men, we are called to be this in our families and in our communities. Because when I see my, my I have, so I have two sons and I have a daughter, so I've been able to raise both a female and, and males. And, and I remember I have this video, and my, my sons are two and four. And they're, they're, they have these action figures, each of them. And both of them are taking the action figures, and the, as soon as they get them in their hands, the first thing they do, what, what's the first thing they do? Push, go together. Ah! Right? That's their nature. Have them fight. Have I ever seen my daughter do that? I could maybe count on my hand how many times I've seen her do that, if I've ever seen her doing that. What do I see her do? I see her get up. I see her twirl. 
I see her, hey, daddy, look, I'm beautiful. Daddy, don't you love me? Don't you want to be with me? Daddy, don't you see me? See, there is something that's innate in boys that is this kind of aggressive, like, adventure. I need to do something. I need to go out and and mix it up. I need to go be a part of something where there's this innate thing in in women that I want to be beautiful. I want to be loved. I want to be pursued by a man. And so we have a choice, men. We have a choice. Are we going to reject passivity? Are we going to, or are we going to pass the buck? Are we going to let darkness win because we're, we're not fighting with our light? We need to fight from our light. And that light is the light of Jesus in your life. You need to fight from your light. Fight from, from, what the, from within that you've aligned your life with the word of God. And you're beginning to fight that battle because when we're young, like, our, the fight seems like it's between the, the good guys and the bad guys. It's the villains versus the superheroes. And, and that's what the fight is. But when we grow up, we begin to realize that we're all a little villain and a little bit superhero. That's in a little bit of all of us. And the fight really comes to what Ephesians 6 says, that our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people but it's against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That that is, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. Our battle is against these mindsets and ways of living that are contrary to the gospel. And we can begin to see in society ways that are are contrary to, to the gospel, and, and we need to start calling those things out and saying, hey, here's how those things are, and, and we don't want to live those ways. We want to align ourselves with the word of God and lead our families, lead ourselves, lead our communities in a way that is going to show the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to talk to you today about four battles that men need to fight. Four battles that men need to fight. And first, It's the battle for our soul. Men, this was a battle that was fought and won already by Jesus Christ, but it's a battle that you need to keep. Jesus won our souls, but it's up to us to keep our souls. Soul keeping. There was a book called Soul Keeping written by John Ortberg. Great book. And what he talks about in that is that the soul is the operating system of the body, of the the life. That your soul is what directs you. It's what holds everything together. We realize that your soul is your character. It's your your personality. It's what makes you, you. And so your soul is so important because your soul is the source of your courage and your confidence. When you go through life and you face difficult situations, the thing that causes you to either shrink back and be passive or have faith and move forward is your soul. And men, it's up to us to keep our soul healthy and strong so that in the midst of difficult situations, we can take steps forward, not only for ourselves, but for our family and for our communities to say, hey, this is who Jesus is, and this is what what we're going to do as men to step forward and follow him and be who he's called us to be. We've got to keep our souls, because our souls are the source of our courage and confidence, And so we need to grow so we will build up until, like Ephesians 4.13 says, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will begin to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. There are too many people that are being blown back and forth by, by cunning and by the deceitfulness of people and being taken into the culture of the world because they haven't built a foundation in Jesus Christ. And it's only in that foundation that we can begin to build a strong soul that will become the source of our courage and our confidence to be able to stand up and lead our families and our, lead ourselves, our families, and our communities well. That is the first battle that we need to fight. And Jesus shows us how to fight that battle. In Luke 13, Jesus heals a woman who's been bent over for 13 years. She's had a hunched back. And, and he's, he heals her on the Sabbath, which was the day that you weren't supposed to do any work. And so there's this Pharisee, this kind of bureaucrat, who cares more about process and power than he cares about people. And he says, well, you know, you shouldn't have healed her because there's no working on the Sabbath. And, and so this woman who's been hunched over for 18 years and is now set free and healed, he's saying, Jesus, you didn't follow the right process. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and so I'm going to put you down because you didn't do what, you, what, what you're supposed to do according to the law. And Jesus answers, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox and donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it, to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free from, on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. You see, we need to cause to speak to people to bring out their bad intentions to bring out their manipulations, to bring out the ways that they are living that are contrary to Jesus, that are keeping people in shackles. What are the things in your life that you need to step up and call out and you need to have the courage to, to be able to speak that? That courage, that confidence, and the knowledge to be able to understand that comes from building a foundation in Jesus Christ. The second battle we need to fight is for is for our personal lives. We need to fight the battle for our personal lives. You know, there was a time when, um, uh, when I was younger, I was uh, showing my kids some video games, um, some of the real video games from back in the day. Um, you, know, you know, things like Super Mario Brothers and things like Legend of Zelda and things like Contra. You know, who knows the, the secret code to Contra? What is it? Amen. Extra anointing on him. He's got the blessing of God going forth this morning. Um, so I was, I was play, showing him some of these things, and we were playing one of my favorite old-time video games, um, which used, it used to be Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Mike Tyson went crazy, and now they just call it Punch-Out. And so um, I was playing this, and we got to this character, Bald Bull, and we didn't, I couldn't figure out how to get past Bald Bull. And so we were trying to figure that, this out, and my sons told me about this thing called walkthroughs. And you can watch on, you can YouTube walkthrough for any video game that's out there, and it will show you how to defeat whatever level that you're at that you can't figure out to how to get past. And so my, my sons and I were watching this, this video game um, walkthrough, 
And my wife comes home after doing something unproductive like grocery shopping or something. Um, and she was watching us. And, and she comes in and she says, what are you guys doing? Well, now I realize at this point that I probably should have been helping her, doing something around the house. Because we had been watching this video game walkthrough for like 20, 30 minutes at this point. And because uh, I was so fascinated by this stuff. And, and so she comes in and she says, what are you guys doing? And... Um, a little bit in a sarcastic tone, and I was like, uh, watching a video game. And she's like, oh, you mean playing a video game? And then I was like, oh, I wish I was at this moment, because at least I would be doing something playing a video game. Like, I'm watching a video game. Like, it's, uh, it's already something vicarious playing a video game where you're not really doing anything. You're having somebody on the screen doing it, and I was doing something that was even one step removed from that. And so I really had no excuse at that point. And um, <laughs> thank you. And, uh, and um, so I think, though, it hit me that sometimes that's the way men, we live our lives. Life is not a walkthrough. Life is the real thing, and you are the character. You are the one living the adventure. We've got to live it. We've got to get out of our comfort zones. We've got to get out of our shell. There is an adventure to live that is called life, that God, the God of life, the author of all creation, is calling you men out. And men, if you could just get passionate with me, if you could just begin to step up out of your walkthrough and begin to see life, that there are families that are dying, there are families that are breaking, there is a culture that is falling apart. There are communities falling apart because men, you need to stand up and begin to lead. And I believe in you. And I believe in the God that has called you, that he is the one that can speak life and purpose and passion into you, that you can begin to be the man and the father that God has created you to be and that our society needs. This is who God has called us. That we need men who are willing to step up and say, no more, I won't pass the buck anymore. I'll reject passivity and I'll begin to fight from my light, the light of Jesus Christ in my life. And, and another battle we need to fight men, and I've got to hurry on this. Um, I've got so much to share with you. But the third battle we need to fight is the battle for our families. That being a father starts with the father heart of God. God, see, God thinks family. He talks about us as his children, the church as a family, and, and us as a member of God's household. And Jesus reveals God as a daddy. That God thinks family. And God, in, in his nature, is love. It's an active love. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. That's in essence in who is who he is. It's not a passive love. It's an active love. And out of that love, God began to create everything. God says, I've loved you in, Jer in Jeremiah. I've loved you with an everlasting love. It's a love that is infinite. It's, it's deep. It's a love that comes out. And it's a love that is the source of all creation. God began to, out of his love, created everything. And so his love is an active love that leads into an aggressive creation. And as he leads into an aggressive creation, he creates men and women who are called to be creators and to image him in the fact that he is the creator and now he's given us to be creators. And the way that he's done that in, in the, the most core, the most basic way is in the family. 
The family is the social unit God created to image, to show who he is to a broken world. To, to begin to raise up people that will begin to multiply the image of God and multiply love into the world. It's an active love. God created this. But the result of passive fathers and husbands is evident. We see that more than a third of families in the U.S. today are, are without the biological father in the household. And this was brought home just yesterday. We served at Forever Changed. It's a um, ministry to mothers experiencing homelessness. And the common denominator among all the women was that they came from a broken home. They came from a broken home, and then they, they were longing for a dad in their life that wasn't there. They got involved with a man, and the man was, was not a man. He was a boy, and he just was, was a bad influence in their life, led them into drugs, got them pregnant, then left them with, in drugs pre, with, a, with, a, with a child, and they ended up homeless. If you talk to, that would, that's probably the story of 80% of the women that are there. And, or more. Um, and, and it's because they didn't have an active father showing them the image of God as a heavenly father in their life. And we begin to see that when there is a father that's involved, that makes a difference, that it makes a huge difference in the life of the children. And so um, Ephesians 5.25 talks about husbands, that husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. You see, men, we're in, in the marriage, we are the initiators in the relationship so often. Typically, it's the man who asks the woman out for a date. It's the man who asks the woman, proposes to the woman, and asks, him, asks her to marry him. It's the man who is doing that, but, but the problem is that as, as the men are pursuing the woman, once men get married, then they think it's time to stop initiating. They don't have to initiate in the relationship anymore. But men, we are called to always date. Even when we're married, we are still dating our wife. We are still called to pursue her heart, to have that active love that God has in our life. And one of the ways we do that is, is by men, by being a provider. It doesn't mean that you make all the money in the relationship. The wife, your wife might make more than you, and that's perfectly fine. But men, you are the one with final responsibility. You are the one to say the buck stops here. If, if, if no matter how much money my wife's making, if we go through a financial hardship, men, we are the ones that are called to step up and make sure that our families are taken care of. We're also called to be the protect, protector. If there's a woman out there, if you're married to a black belt and she can karate chop some guy better than you can, great. But you should be alongside her, helping her, and saying, honey, how can I hold him in a lock so you can hit him? <laughs> it's okay, Men, it's okay for women to be the, 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 the breadwinners in the family. It's okay for women to be the martial artists in the family. But it's not okay for you to say, hey, the, she is the one who can take final responsibility. We are the one that need to say the buck stops here in our hearts. If, if we, no matter what happens. And also, men are the purpose givers in the family. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, Bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. 
You see, a, a core part of parenting is, is and that men get from, from women, which is actually the most important thing that, that a family will get is from the mom, is bonding, learning how to form close relationships. And if, if a, a child doesn't have a mother in their life, then they'll constantly have problems learning how to build relationships and how to build trust. But if the father, if the mother's job is bonding, the father's job is what I call boundarying. It is cre- learning how to help the child know what they're responsible for and what they're not responsible for. Learning how to say no and learning how to accept no. And when a child doesn't have a father in their life, then they don't know how to create boundaries in their life. They don't know how to say no to others and to life. They don't know how, how to accept no from others and, their, and, and life. And, and they go through struggling with boundaries in their life and living chaotic, boundaryless lives because they didn't have a father in their life to teach them how to have boundaries. There, I've been told um, by that a baby bird, if you help a baby bird hatch, if you kind of break it out of its egg, that it will die. Because it's in the process of breaking through the shell that the, the baby bird begins to develop the strength that it needs to be able to face the trials it will face in its life. See, if God begins to hatch us, or if our parents begin to hatch us and, and, and begin to, to, to do everything for us, then it doesn't create the strength that specifically men that we need to be able to face the problems of life. We need to learn how to create boundaries. We need to have that father and, and, the, and, and that mother too that will be stern and say, hey, no, that this is not the way you do things. This is not the way we behave. I t- talk to you about this because I love you. My um, son, I think he dropped some food on the ground and, and he, he uh, was, was gonna, wanted to eat it. And I was like, no, don't eat that food. That's bad for you. And he said, well, well it's wasting food. And I said, well, it's our money that we bought it, so if we want to waste that, it's our choice. Throw the food away. And so we've got to learn how to tell to our kids, no, because we're beginning to build strength in them, going through the process of, of learn, coming against boundaries, that when they come against that and they begin to go through difficulties in their life, they begin to learn how to build boundaries and they begin to have strength in them. And then as we begin to encourage them, they begin to learn how to do things. Um, I'm going to skip down a little bit. Uh, men are also the spiritual leaders of their family. That there was a study that was done. It was called the Demographic Characteristics of the Linguistic and Religious Groups in Switzerland. Great read, right? Like, if you want to wake up in the morning, this is your read. Um, but, it, it, but, but long and short of it is, um, it, it, set, it, it goes through the question whether a parent's religion carried, is carried to the next generation. And it looked at if the father was an irregular attender of a church and if the mother was an irregular attender of the church. And what they found is that if the father, the father was the key ingredient, if the father didn't attend church or was even just an irregular attender, that drastically affected what, what the kid, if, how the kid would look at church. And so it, it says... In short, if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotions, only one in 50 will become a regular worshiper. 
Men, you are the spiritual leaders of your family, and your kids will look up to you. If you don't go to church, they won't go to church. If you value church, they will value church, because you are speaking purpose into their lives by your actions, by what you do. And when you show them that Jesus is the foundation for their lives and he is the source of their soul, which is the source of their courage and confidence, that begins to speak volumes into their life. And finally, the final battle is that there's the battle for community. And I want to close on this one. That um, there was a response to the Gillette ad by Egard Watches. And it said... um, that men are, it said, what is a man? And it said, men are brave. That 93% of workplace fatalities are men. Uh, what is a man? A man is a hero. 97% of war fatalities are men. What is a man? A man is a protector. 79% of all homicide victims are male. And it just began to show how men are ones that are out there sacrificing and giving themselves for a greater good. And I believe that men, we are called to step up for a greater good. Um, one great example is the civil rights movement. That there were men and women that were involved and sp- spoke up just as Jesus spoke up against the Pharisee to say, hey, no, this is not right. This is not the way we need to behave. Because there are so many families and so many communities that are disintegrating because there's no leadership. Families and communities rise and fall on the foundation of leadership. And I believe that that definitely men and women are called to leadership, but I believe God has given a special place in the family for the father to be a leader, not as a dictator, but as a servant leader, lovingly leading his family towards Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for these people listening uh, on this summer day, God. Thank you.